Hi everyone, this is Sophia Chiani and we are doing another episode of the New Fashion Initiative podcast. Today we have with us Vanessa Halik, the founder and CEO of Another Tomorrow, a luxury sustainable fashion brand. Vanessa, I'm so excited to be speaking to you today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So diving right in, when I was doing my research on you, I saw that you decided to leave a very successful career in finance for fashion. So I would love to know about what got you interested in sustainability. Why did you decide to change your career path and pursue a career in sustainability? Oh, gosh, it's been such an adventure. So you know, like, like many things, I think it's not obvious what the immediate catalyst and turning point was, but really I think the seeds for this company were sown a long time ago in the way that I was brought up. So I grew up in really small college towns. Uh, my mom was an artist, my dad was a sociology professor, and this idea of conscious consumption and living a values-aligned life was something that was, you know, really kind of steeped in me from a young age. Um, I grew up with, you know, sort of the whole earth catalog on my lap and really viewing design and science and technology um, as being, you know, really key to working together to solve problems. And then, you know, I think the aberration in some ways was honestly my, my finance career. So, you know, growing up, I thought that banks were tellers, you know, I had no idea that these investment banks existed, but I did end up switching from architecture to economics uh, in college, and lo and behold, ended up in New York in the world of finance. And I have to say, I really, I, I loved everything that I learned in those 15 years where I was there focusing on emerging markets. It gave me tremendous exposure to the world, really helped me feel like we lived in this truly interconnected uh, global society and got to understand really how, you know, how businesses are built and what supply chains really look like. Uh, but throughout those 15 years, I definitely struggled with the idea of whether or not I was really putting my personal energy into purpose. And, you know, it's funny, I, I left, I left three times and the third time stuck. <laughs> so the first time I left, I thought, oh, I'm going to be an immigration lawyer. Uh, the second time I left to go do a degree in energy and environmental policy at Columbia, and they talked me into coming back. And really, you know, it was after 15 years when um, I'd hit some sort of personal, personal career goals and milestones, particularly as a woman in a really um, masculine environment. And I just needed to take a really hard look and ask myself, you know, what was the point to how I was spending my time and energy? And it became really clear to me that the world was not moving in the direction that I had so hoped and that I wanted to dedicate really the next you know, 20 years of my career um, to building something purposeful. And initially I thought I would actually stay within finance to do that. It was where I built a lot of expertise and network and, and sort of equity. And I saw a huge need to realign the way that we deploy capital um, to being uh, much more aligned with impact and with environmental and social um, issues. So that was really kind of my, my starting point. And I took a sabbatical and I have to say the company I was working for was incredibly gracious to allow me to do this. Um, and I just started researching the major industries in the world and, you know, trying to get a, a more granular understanding of how they were manifesting 
all of these negative uh, unintended consequences or externalities. And, um, you know, frankly, in some of the major industries like oil and gas, logistics, things of that nature were things that I was pretty familiar with. Um, and it was fairly straightforward. But when I got to fashion, I was just blown away by not just the magnitude of the impact the industry has on the planet, on people, on biodiversity, on animal welfare, um, but the nuance and complexity of that impact. And when I encountered that information, I definitely didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm gonna radically change my career. Um, but I did at least think, well, I should immediately take this information on board as an individual. And I found it remarkably complex to actually do that. Um, the amount of information that the consumer has about any given product is uh, quite meager. You're sort of lucky to even know where it was produced um, in the first place, let alone how it was how it was sourced and how the people were paid for making that product. And I found it basically, you know, nearly impossible to, to really make a, a huge dent in, in, in the way that I consumed other than just basically full stop um, ceasing to buy anything, anything new and just buying secondhand, which is a partial solution, but not, not the entire solution. So long story short, um, the shift came from this sort of shock and awe <laughs> and then uh, really from my own frustrations, putting it into action. That's so inspiring, especially that you were willing to take such a risk, especially since you were already so successful. And so I would love to hear more about another tomorrow when you were making your shift. Was that was that always your end game, founding your own clothing company? What what was really going through your head when you were deciding to found it? Yeah, you know, initially it wasn't, particularly if you look at the industry um, as one where there's a significant oversupply of product to the market relative to real consumer demand, it was not an obvious choice to start a new brand. Um, and it's a very competitive landscape. But when I looked at um, where other industries had been kind of 10 years prior, for example, food or in some respects, beauty, um, you know, challenger brands were really, really important to starting to change the standards by which the incumbents operated. And there really just weren't very many examples of those brands um, in fashion. I would say, you know, Patagonia, Eileen Fisher, probably two exceptions and certainly have served as a, as a North Star. Um, and there was a real dearth of kind of aesthetically and values aligned product for people. And it's such a product driven market. You know, people buy what they feel comfortable wearing because it's really such a source of personal expression. Um, that I felt that that was really an important add uh, to to the marketplace to kind of bridge that um, bridge that gap. So that was where another tomorrow really came about. That's super interesting. And can you walk us through your day to day role in the company? Like, how has it changed, especially in light of the <laughs> pandemic? Oh my gosh, you know, it's my role has changed so much at every stage of building another tomorrow and um, a, a huge amount of the emphasis in the early days prior to launch was really on building supply chains and for us the you know really our cornerstone policy is to try and build our supply chains as much as possible from the farm up. So I actually historically have spent um, a lot of time on farms, including uh, in Tasmania, where we source our wool from two ethical farms. 
on farms in the US where we source our organic cotton, in the forest in Sweden where we source our um, uh, sustainably sourced uh, viscose. Um, you know, so really I've spent a lot of time uh, kind of on the ground initially building those supply chains and then building partnerships uh, with mills and, and manufacturers and, and ensuring that there's, you know, sound wastewater management, sound chemical uh, policies, uh, that people are being paid a living wage, you know, all of the above. So that was really sort of the, the pre-launch um, emphasis. Um, these days, you know, it was kind of interesting. We launched in January, so we had a solid six weeks prior to COVID hitting. Um, so this year, you know, it, it's, it's all changed dramatically. But um, for us, really, we are constantly focused on solving the problems and adding value for our consumer and adding value to the planet. And so that is where I spend my energy and that takes different forms, you know, on, on a day-to-day on a -day basis. And could you tell us a little more about what you guys do in regards to sustainability and accountability? I know you were talking about the organic cotton. Um, is there anything in particular you're, you're proud of implementing within your company in regards to sustainability measures? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we take a very holistic view on sustainability and ethics as a starting point. I think that there tends to be an overemphasis on just focusing on materials. So for us, it's uh, really an environmental welfare, animal welfare, and human welfare approach. Um, and what that means is that there are actually remarkably few materials that fit those characteristics, uh, remarkably few manufacturers uh, that fit those characteristics. So for example, um, all of our manufacturers, um, we ensure that everyone is paid a living wage. So that to me is hugely important. The statistics differ, but um, over 90% of garment workers are not paid a living wage. So that's a major, major problem. Um, similarly, when it comes to animal welfare, um, we ensure that no animal is harmed or killed um, in order to make our product. So that means not using animal skins, it's certainly no exotic animals, no leather. Um, it also means that we source our wool from these two um, ethical farms where we have direct relationships. And it means that we don't use things that, you know, oftentimes people don't necessarily associate um, with injury to animals, uh, and that's we don't use down and we don't use silk. So um, those are a lot of um, sort of our lines in the sand. And then when it comes to the environmental footprint that we have, a huge amount of the impact happens um, at the raw material stage and then at the processing stage. And so at the raw materials level, given that we've just carved out all of those material categories that we just spoke about, we're really only using kind of four core materials. One is organic cotton. That's really important because cotton is a huge user of chemical pesticides, insecticides, and herbicides that have um, really negative consequences for soil health, biodiversity, and in some cases, human health. Um, we use exclusively organic linen. Linen is already a fairly good fiber in its conventional form because it doesn't require much water um, and not as much chemical use, but nonetheless, we still choose to go organic. Um, all of our viscose is, um, you know, it's, it's traceable and it's sourced back to FSC certified forests, the majority of which comes from Sweden where there's uh, really strong biodiversity protections as well. That's very relevant because um, the viscose industry and generally fibers that come from trees 
there are still major issues where a lot of that is being sourced from uh, virgin forests, for example, um, which is which is a huge, huge problem. Um, and then I referenced will, wool, where it comes from these two ethical farms in Tasmania. And we don't use any virgin cashmere because, again, there's a huge excess of demand for cashmere relative to the supply. And what that's done is that it's encouraged the herders, particularly in Mongolia, where most cashmere is sourced from, to expand their herds dramatically. And goats actually pull up um, their grass, what they eat from the roots, and that leads to des desertification. And so because of this major imbalance in, in Mongolia, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't source any virgin cashmere. So that really talks about the sourcing side, but I think that genuinely what we're most proud of is actually transparency because we recognize that as a startup, our supply chain is you know, a drop in the bucket. Even large companies, it's, it's such a fragmented marketplace in general in fashion that any one company's supply chain is just a drop in the bucket. And so for us, we believe that our use of technology to really bring consumer facing transparency to how supply chains are built, that's the game changer. That's what shifts the standards in the industry and really starts to address a lot of the problems around opacity and greenwashing um, that the industry currently faces and really puts the power uh, with the consumer. To wow. I mean, you obviously know your stuff. You have done such great work in refining your supply chain. So I would love to know. I'm curious. I know you mentioned that you wanted to go back to get your master's from Columbia. So to what extent, if at all, do you think that your education has played a role in really wanting you to pursue this work in sustainability? You know, that's such a great question. I think that um, curiosity is the first ingredient um, to, to all of this. I think, uh, you know, doing real work and sustainability involves peeling back the onion, you know, many, many, many layers until you get down to the details. And I do think that taking uh, an academic fact-based approach has also been very helpful to my own uh, discovery and process. So I think it's really those, those two things. Uh, the, the remarkable part for me and the surprising part is how much you actually also still really have to show up because I found that I looked through so many meta studies around organic cotton, for example, when I was first doing the research. And at the end of the day, it's, it's so local that really um, you know, showing up and building those relationships is a big part of the equation. So I think it's, it's important for the high level piece. It's important to have that curiosity, but there's also just you know, doing the work and showing up. Yeah, absolutely. And as you guys continue to innovate, like, are there any big steps that you're looking forward to implementing? And would you say there are any companies that you're, you want to emulate in the industry? Yeah, you know, for us, um, we announced when we launched that we would ultimately have a resale program. That was something that was really important to me because reducing um, the carbon footprint of an individual garment is helped dramatically by extending the life cycle of that garment. Um, so we wanted to introduce resale from the get-go. It also really helps to democratize access to high quality product. So we'll be kicking that off in the first half of next year. And we're very excited about that. We'll just allow many more people access to our products and extend the life cycle even further. So that's a really big um, part of our initiative. 
Um, and beyond that, you know, and I, and I do think that business model transformation is just as important as sourcing. Uh, beyond that, we're looking at a lot of really exciting um, incremental changes in the materials that we source. And in particular, we're always looking for recycled and upcycled options um, to reduce the burden on raw materials in general. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, keeping all that in mind, like, is there any advice you would give to other businesses that are trying to become more sustainable and accountable? Yeah, you know, I, I always think that it's important to understand where your biggest impact is and to start there, because I, I do think that there's a huge amount of positive intention right now. Um, but you want to make sure that you're putting your energy into a place where it actually moves the needle in terms of your business's core impact. And so, you know, I encourage existing brands to, to have that thought process and do that analysis from the get go. And then to map back uh, what they can do today to what those ultimate goals are. I think it also is really helpful to bring your consumer on board your journey. Um, I think there's a risk of kind of, you know, doing the shiny, easy thing today that doesn't necessarily lead to sustained progress or sustained change. So that would be my, um, my recommendation. And, and then just start, you know, just start even with the small things. I think there's so much learning just by virtue of the process uh, that that's really important. And I think that a lot of, you know, the leaders in the industry take a very open source approach to this. And so I think you can look at Patagonia. I think you can look at what Eileen Fisher is doing. I think you can certainly come to our site and look at our extensive sustainability section um, as, as resources. I think Mara Hoffman's another, another great one, but generally speaking, you know, those who are doing, really doing the work are happy to share what they've learned and reduce the burden on others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was speaking to people from Mar Hoffman and they were so open and really kind and courteous with all the knowledge they were giving out. So definitely, I think that we there's so many amazing people to look towards. But in terms of small businesses, I mean, do you think that it's hard or costly to operate a sustainable business? What has your personal experience been with that? It definitely costs more. I mean, that that's the truth. Um, it certainly costs more. I think on the material side, it costs more both in terms of the actual inputs. It also costs more in terms of uh, the capital required if you're going to buy raw materials yourself. Um, the biggest cost, which I think a lot of people don't want to talk about, is the wage cost. Um, and that definitely does cost more. But I have to be honest, I think that we are in such an unsustainable place at the global level in terms of where we are in terms of planetary boundaries and the inequality in this world that I hate to put the burden on new businesses, but I think if you're coming out into this world with something new uh, today as a new brand, it's really important that that adds value by actually addressing these issues. So even if the cost base um, is a bit higher, uh, I think it's really tough to bring something into the world these days that doesn't address these inherent problems. And I think the customers respond to that. I definitely, definitely agree. I do think that given the, how badly our planet is progressing, it's going to be really important to be sustainable as we're going forward. But how do you think that we can make sustainable fashion more accessible to the average consumer? And like, how can we make it more palatable, especially in terms of cost? 
Yeah. That's where I think new business models really come into play. So that's where I see, um, you know, certainly circular economy is a huge part of that. Like I said, I think that really democratizes access to quality. Just as an example, you know, we expect that our products on the resale site will sell for somewhere between, you know, 40 to 70% of what our kind of brand new products sell for. So that's automatically creating, um, you know, a secondary price point. I think in certain instances, uh, rental models can totally work. Um, and in many cases, it, it is less costly to actually upcycle products. So I think business models that are built um, in that way uh, can, can also be interesting. We're just, we're doing currently um, some upcycled denim that we're really excited about. Um, so I, I think that you have to think about solving that through your business model, because I think unfortunately, this drive to cheaper product, lower cost, greater accessibility, which is really how fast fashion was built, um, is not sustainable in any way for the planet and just leads to excessive consumption, um, you know, beyond what this planet can sustain. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So what would you like people to know about circularity in your work and just in general about the work that you're doing? You know, I would really encourage people to use our sustainability uh, part of the site as a resource. I think that sustainability in fashion is so hard for the average consumer to unpack. I certainly experienced that myself in my research process. And so we've really tried to build that part of the site in a way that can be a resource to anyone, whether you buy our products or not. And so I would definitely encourage people to utilize that. We have a big section within that that really talks about the materials that we use and the materials that we don't use and why. Um, so we'd love for people to read that and we love their feedback as well. That's awesome. Yay for open source education. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I would also love to know if you have any new exciting plans coming up that you would like to share either related to another tomorrow or just personally. Yeah, sure. Um, so gosh, on the other tomorrow side, the, the other part of the equation that we, we have going is that uh, we're going to be offering customers the ability to switch sizes uh, once within the year. I think that um, speaking from the perspective of a woman and, and really being so closely engaged with our female customers, this idea of a changing body and how that interacts with one's closet is really often a source of stress. So we're really excited to be able to offer uh, that part of the program. I think that that's uh, really exciting um, and important. Um, and then personally, um, you know, some of the, I guess, changes and things on, on my end, uh, I recently joined the board for the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard. I encourage anyone who cares about the human rights angle of this industry to really explore what they're doing. I think that they are really um, doing leading work in terms of even how we define rights in the modern era. So very, very excited and honored to be a part of, of that group. Um, and uh, I, I'm actually currently still with uh, the Earth Institute at Columbia. And again, I think that they're a remarkable institution of I think the highest concentration of uh, scientists focused on climate and the environment of any institution and, and just a, a wealth of knowledge. So I also really encourage um, you know, anyone to use them as a resource. I would love to say that I have supply chain visits in my future. Usually I do, but COVID is definitely constraining that. So I miss seeing our partners um, in real life, but 
hopefully as soon as it's safe, I will be on the ground soon. Yeah, I I definitely feel that. But congratulations on all that amazing work. I definitely would second that the Earth Institute is such an amazing institution and they have so much amazing information available on their website for anyone who wants to learn more. Um, And kind of pivoting, I guess, uh, as we come to our conclusion, I would love to know about where you see your company being in 10 to 15 years in regards to sustainability. And where do you see the sustainable fashion industry as a whole being, or at least where do you hope that it will be? Yeah, you know, I think if you look at where we need to be as a planet in 10, 15 years, I mean, we need to have remarkably diminished impact on the planet, whether that's emissions or otherwise. And so for us, we're looking to incorporate circularity and localized supply chains wherever we possibly can. So that's a major, major drive for us. Um, We also are planning to expand our product ecosystem over this course of those 10, 15 years um, to include a lot of other categories where we see very similar problems, uh, whether that's in furniture, home furnishings, et cetera. There's a lot of room to bring improvements based on our um, supply chain expertise uh, to the market. So we're very excited about that. In terms of where the industry is headed, um, I really think that what is novel today around transparency and having digital identities for products will ultimately become the norm. And I'm very excited about that. So I think if we look out on the horizon 10 years from now, you'll be able to do what you can do today with our products by scanning a QR code and seeing the whole supply chain. You'll be able to do that with any product out there and it will really empower the consumer. So you know, I think sunlight's the best disinfectant and I think that that's coming to fashion in a big way. Definitely. I can't wait to see how the industry and your brand progresses. And thank you again so much for coming on today. As a final question, I would love to know, I mean, obviously the elephant in the room is definitely COVID. uh, And I know so many companies and businesses are suffering. So post-COVID, when the industry does get back up on its feet, uh, what are the most important circular approaches that brands should implement? I really advocate for brands to own their own resale channels. Um, I think that it lends itself to having a really long relationship with your customer. I think it um, allows you to have a relationship with many more customers who might not be able to afford your your product when it first uh, comes on the market. So I think there's been a tendency to work with third-party platforms, which I think are great, and I think they'll continue to exist and play a big role. But I really encourage brands to figure out if they can take that on board um, themselves. It's a lot easier than it looks. Um, I think it can feel a bit a bit daunting. Um, but I think that that's what we're going to see the, the biggest growth of is, is brands really owning that, owning that themselves. And one of the things that I think um, that also does, which is really important, is it incentivizes you, it incentivizes you as a company to make really high quality, long lasting products um, relative to you know, products that would perhaps be a bit more disposable. So that's what I think is coming. I'm really excited about the innovation that I'm seeing in that area right now already in the industry. And I expect huge amount of momentum on that front. Well, I can't wait to see everything that the industry and you and Another Tomorrow does. Thank you again so much for taking this time to speak with us. It was so awesome to get to know you and your personal journey. uh, And I'm sure that our viewers will really, really enjoy it. It's been so much my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you again.